Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBA School. Today, I'm excited because we have back on the MBA Insider Podcast, Lindsay Sage. Uh, Lindsay is the founder of Sage Admit. Uh, she's an MBA admissions consultant, and she previously uh, worked in MBA admissions at NYU Stern. And I'm excited today to have uh, Lindsay back on the show. We're going to talk to her just a little bit about what she is seeing so far for the 2021-2022 MBA admission cycle and just how she works at MBA applicants who are looking to gain acceptance into MBA programs. Lindsay's a friend of mine and someone who I always enjoy talking to, so I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, so Lindsay, first and foremost, uh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're doing well. Let's start with a warm-up question. would love to know, what is a book that has had a monumental impact on your life? Oh, Al, I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to to see you. And this is so fun. I had so much fun doing this last year. So thank you for having me back. So right. So a book that's had a monumental impact on your life. That's a tall order. But um, I and this is I hope this doesn't sound kind of cheesy, but I love Oprah because who doesn't? She's like divine wisdom. And she's this whole thing she's been doing lately with this book, What's Happened to You? Do you know about this? I have heard of it. So yeah. tell me more. It's basically instead of saying what's wrong with that person, it's what happened to them. And so it's just reframing how we're knowing that we all went through trauma, no matter what, we've all had our own version of trauma. And how has that shaped us and how we respond to things and our personality and the way we make choices and decisions and how we act. And I love this because it's like due time that we start not putting all of this personal responsibility on the person to like, why'd they make that bad choice of shame on them? And it's no, what happened to them to have them make that decision that they made that wasn't good for them? Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a wonderful message, such a message of empathy and understanding and I was listening to one of my favorite podcast hosts, Dax Shepard, who who hosts um, Armchair Expert. And Mm -hmm. one of the things he often talks about is when something happens or when he does something that maybe he doesn't want to do or maybe is antithesis to what he really wants, he talks about, oh, it's it's my inner five-year-old coming out. And But just this (laughs) notion and idea, sometimes the things that happen to us in our lives often are... Uh, related to how we show up or how we choose to engage, uh, sometimes for better or for worse. And yes, I, I do think too, in over the past, you know, 16 months and just managing through a global pandemic, I, I, I can, you know, absolutely understand the need for a book like this. And so very timely to come out with uh, this book. She's a, always on time. She, she is. is just everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love Dax and I love, and she was on KB, Dax's Mm -hmm. wife's podcast. They're killing it. That whole enterprise. They're going for it. 
They really are. No, uh, KB is great. I was a big fan of The Good Place, and I think they're both wonderful. Okay, great. Let's just jump right in then. So we're filming this sometime in, in August, and we're kicking off, roughly kicking off, the new school year for MBA students, as well yeah. as a new application cycle. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about what do you expect to happen this year? Yeah, So the schools have said that this, and they've said this month, that people coming back, they're coming back in person. Um, This is the return to normal. Vaccines are mandatory at available on site. Things will be unmasked. But I don't know, Al, like I live in New York City and we just got a new mandate to show vaccination cards in restaurants. I don't know. They they are saying all of this with a lot of caution and pause in terms of what's going to say this is our plan for in-person classes. But there has been, I think they all know that they can return to this hybrid model. They can return to this remote model. And the good thing is they have it all in place. So it shouldn't be messy. It should just be like a click back in if that happens. I think from the admissions perspective, they're they're still not going to be fully on the road. They're still doing a lot of remote events and they're hosting. Most schools have said that all their interviews will be virtual this year for the majority of the schools. So they're still keeping in with that virtual platform because I think it's worked for them and it's worked better than they expected. And they've been able to have a wider reach. So yeah, things still as much as they're uh, planning to return to normal, still a little pause and hesitancy. Sure. And can certainly understand that for, for good reason. So perhaps, I guess, maybe the takeaway here is if you're an MBA admissions or MBA applicant for this year's cycle, expect to engage virtually when it comes yeah. to things like interviews or trying to get to know the school, uh, trying to yeah. get to meet the students, things like that. Is that a fair assumption then? Yeah. Yeah. And it's worked. It's worked. I think the one thing I heard from my clients was like, oh, I don't really know that I can tell the difference between these schools. And I think also, at least there's two ways to engage. It's engaging to figure out who you're going to apply to. But then there's this other wave of engagement. And you remember when you were doing this, it's like, I got in. These are my choices. This is where I got in. Let me go visit the schools now. So I think that'll all be, that's always usually in the spring. That's going to all be on again. So I think that even if you have to engage with this first wave of getting to know a school, just remotely. I can't imagine then April, May welcome weekends are still going to be remote. People, I think the schools will be dying to do that in person. And I think they can get it together by then. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I think so too. And to your point, even though it's, even though it is virtual, it also in some respects takes a little bit of a burden off of an applicant to have to, you know, pony up to go to the school if that's a barrier or you know, yeah. find the time to go and do it. Pros and cons for sure. But from a scalability and affordability perspective, I think a lot of folks win in that regard. And I do think that a lot of schools are, are looking for more ways to, to think about how they can better engage and better, better show up digitally yeah. so that people can feel like they're confident in the decisions that they make. Uh, but yeah. certainly the hope is that by, like to your point, by, the, by hopefully next spring, some of those things that they used to do in person, they can bring those back. And then certainly also just it still may in that case still be slightly easier potentially for folks who are based in the United States mm-hmm. who are trying to visit a U.S.-based school mm-hmm. to engage in person versus mm-hmm. uh, folks who may you know, be in a different country or a different continent or things like that. But we will see, I guess. Yeah, I we will see. I, I hope think. we are not still here in the spring. I, I agree. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. 
so let's you know, let's talk just about what you're seeing just from the conversations you've had with clients already. You know, what I guess maybe this is something that isn't probably new to just this year in terms yeah. of who you work with, but what are the types of challenges when MBA applicants come to you that your clients have? What's keeping them up at night? What are they concerned about? Why are they, you know, scared? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's a, these are, Every, such highly accomplished people. They're just highly accomplished. These are most MBA applicants, like top of their class, top of whatever sport they play, top of their job professionally. And they're coming so accomplished and around so many accomplished people that this feeling of inadequacy really comes in through this process, this feeling of, am I enough? I've got this little flaw here. And it's, you don't usually face your what you think are your flaws day to day. And with this application process, it's really like that. So what a lot of my clients come to me with is a lot of nerves, a lot of stress, a lot of listening to all the noise or on the different platforms where people will like poke at them and say, oh no, your score's not good enough. And so then they come to me and they're devastated. And it's no, you are not one thing. You are a whole collection of all kinds of things, including those really wonderful flaws that make you human. And so really, I think one of the challenges is for them to set aside that worry and that feeling of being inadequate and instead really focusing on all of the things that make them so wonderful. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really can be really difficult sometimes, particularly when you're in the echo chamber of the for- online forums or, yeah. uh, or whatnot, or, or just when you look at the you look at the things that are easy and visible to see, which mm-hmm. are the, the test scores, the undergraduate GPAs, the breakdown of the, the demographics, which all are yeah. important data points, but never, you know, quite tell the, the full length and the full story of the individual. Right. And I think so much of what an MBA applicant has to do, whether it's on their own or with an admissions consultant is figuring out how do I make myself come to life off this piece of paper, both with those quantifiable things, but all the many other Mm -hmm. things uh, that they uniquely have. Mm -hmm. And I would be curious to know, I think you've, you've been doing this for a few years now. So what, tell me a little bit about this in terms of how long you've been doing this and also what what has changed or what's different Mm. um, from when you started doing this to, to Mm. what you're, to how to, to today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So I'm going into my seventh season. And before this, I was working in admissions. So when I first started doing this work, it felt oh, we were the, these coaches were like this mysterious thing on the side. And also that admissions was this mysterious thing behind the curtain. And now I feel like everyone is just really out in front and it's schools are very supportive of applicants getting coaching, whether it's through an admissions coach or whether it's through a mentor or another student or whatever, like they really want applicants to feel safe and good in this process. And they're even hosting, they're incredibly transparent, I've noticed in the last few years. Don't you think they're like hosting all kinds of workshops on, let me, let's workshop this essay. They're like helping you get through the application. They are really trying to reach out and say, we are not mysterious. This is how we evaluate, but also you're more than these three credentials. And let's help you tell your narrative and your story. So I've been really happy with how schools has come out and tried to make this process more transparent and easier on the applicant. That's definitely been a huge change. And have you noticed at all either things that students or, sorry, applicants used to come to you for questions on that 
don't anymore, or maybe the other way around, or things mm. that never used to be really an issue at all, but all of a sudden are now? Are there any mm. insights into the into that of just maybe what's different? They're so much more knowledgeable. Yeah. They're at the top yeah. of their game. Like they yeah. know everything. And mm-hmm. it's incredible. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, all, it all. And I think that's good. And so my, cause my job is 50% of the strategy and the knowledge. And then my other 50% of my job is just like really getting them, coaching them and cheerleading them through the process and making them feel good about themselves and helping them pull out their uniquenesses and making them feel proud. But, um, yeah, they come to the table with very specific, clear questions. Like they'll know about things about the booth curriculum. They'll know about the experiential learning that Talk is offering this year versus what it offered last year. They are on it and it's extraordinary. It's a lot of work on their part. I think it's how they're spending. And maybe this was COVID related too. Everyone had a lot of free time, so they had nothing else to do but go online and learn about these schools. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'd love to know maybe from you, I know you've like we talked about, you've been doing this for about seven years, but you also, you've been on the other side of this as well in terms of yeah. you know, being an admissions director. One of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, what's something you feel strongly about or something that you believe to mm. be true about MBA admissions that you just, is a hill mm. you will die on or that you're just <laughs> deeply committed and convicted in this, this specific belief? Yeah. A hill I will die on. I love that. Okay. This is actually a new thing. And I didn't realize it was such a thing until recently as coaching became, as admissions coaching became such a thing that people saw it, is now that it's like starting to be so formulaic and standardized because I have a, I have my own boutique firm and my approach is really, of course, I'm going to do certain things and guidelines and we're all going to talk about the same elements of the application. But what bothers me about what's out there, at least in this space lately, is that It's okay, you do these 10 things and you get into a school and you have to do these 10 things and at these dates and this way. And it's no, that's not how it works. Like we are more than just these four things. This is not a step-by-step formula process. If you like watch the Olympics, it's yeah, whoever is the fastest wins, but there's also like a lot of cheering for the underdog and you never really know. Like sometimes that underdog just takes it. And I think that admit what people forget is that admissions are real people who want to root for you. Like they are reading with the intention of trying, they're trying to find reasons to admit you. They're not sitting back trying to find reasons to not admit you. They read to admit, they read to say, what do I love about this person that will make them work for our school? Not sitting back like evaluating. I think people think they sit back and I'll have clients say, oh, they're going to like laugh at me for this, or they're going to think this. They're not laughing at anybody. Even like the the most uncompetitive application I've seen, I I never laughed at it. I saw all the strengths in it. I didn't. So I, I wish that was like more well-known because sort of there's a lot of, no, you have to do these 10 things. If you are not these 10 things, you will not get into M7. If you are not, you need to do these five things for this. And it's it's not analytical like that. Certainly certain things matter, but it is holistic. It is, you can get out from. And certainly too, I think it's from what I understand, at least and what I could see from my own class is that the school is at a disservice if they were to admit the same exact person, Mm -hmm. like the same exact Mm -hmm. replica over and over again, particularly with many schools finally really coming to terms to the efforts and investments that they need to make in terms of actually 
recruiting a, a diverse and inclusive incoming class, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really make sense for them to just follow the cookie cutter approach to mm-hmm. admitting the same type of person. And I think that goes for everything. We all have a cool little part of us that makes us different, really talk that up. I think people can get really down and say, oh, I come from a big, big four. Everyone's coming from a big four. Oh, I come from this. Everyone's doing that. And it's, oh, we all have these uniquenesses. Really just try to pull that out. Let them see that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a marketer. And so one of the number one rules of marketing is that if you don't want to, if you don't want to, if you don't want to compete on price, which you never really want to do because it's a race to the bottom, what you have to do is to differentiate and yes. to really lean into that differentiation in order to stand out. And I think very much the same thing is, is true for candidates and, and applicants and really honing in and, and finding those things that are unique and differentiated that will help them tell their story and make them stand out and make them not the the cookie cutter, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about like we've we talked about for a while, you've, you've been on the admissions director side and now you're an admissions consultant. Where do you get the most excitement and energy out of this work? Yeah, I love the coaching. I love the like diving deep and what are those stories and what are those themes and asking those provocative questions to get to those stories because this is like a moment of real reflection. You don't really get a lot of, and not a lot of people are sitting back and reflecting on their journey to where they are and to get them to see their distance traveled, to get them to see where they started and where they are now. And I just love those brainstorming sessions around some of those big essay topics where someone can really tell their story and their narrative. Yeah, that's it. I just love people. I love like human behavior and I love that everyone has their own unique story. And that's what admissions wants. They want a story and we all have one to tell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is fun and that is unique. And that's also when you do have uh, a multitude of clients, it's, it is a unique challenge each time because it is that chance to figure out how do we pull or help them pull the best parts of their story to life, which are going to be different from the other other person, the other people that you work with. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really great. So when you're working with candidates, would love to know where do you wish they would spend less time or maybe Mm. where do you wish they would spend more? Okay. Yes. So I I think there's a lot of concern around admissions will think this. I think admissions wants it this way and it's no admissions wants, doesn't want it any one way. Admissions wants it your way. Tell the truth. We don't need to fabricate a pretend story for admissions. Be who you are. They want it to come from you in an authentic way. So I wish that they didn't try to think, what does admissions want? Admissions wants this career goal. They want me to say MBB. It's no, they don't. They want you to say what your goals are. As long as they're MBA relevant and makes sense for a business degree, then those are your goals. That makes sense. And there's clarity and they're succinct, but they don't all need to hear the same goal. Why would they want to read five thousand applications with the same goal. So um, I wish that they would realize that admissions doesn't want any one thing, spend less time on the small details. Oh, there was a typo in my essay. That's why I wasn't admitted. This was someone who came to me was a re-app and said, I there was a typo in my essay. That's why I wasn't admitted. I was like, no, that is certainly not why you weren't. You're, you're not because of the typo. You know what I mean? Like we're human. There can be, uh, that, that's, that nothing is any one thing. You're not admitted for any one thing. And I wish they obsessed over those small details a little less and realized that this is a one big thing not one tiny thing. And then, and got to know, okay, where do I wish they spent more time? I wish that they got to know the value of the schools beyond just like the top schools. So there's this sense of, 
you know, oh, okay, I get whatever school I get into that's the highest ranked, that's where I go. And and I think that's still the mode of the way people take this on. And I just wish it, I just wish it wasn't. I really wish, because I've seen so many successful times of someone like turning down Warden for Yale or not going to the top 10 so they could go to the top 25 and being like, yep, that was really hard. I went against what everyone told me to do, but I was happier as a result, because it was a better fit school for me. And I just wish it was more like college in that way, a little bit more yeah. based on fit than ranking. Yeah. When that on that notion, because I, I agree with you, I think there's a lot of value to be had there. But if you're, how does one decide to do that? Right? Yeah. Because, Take because yeah, exactly. Who right. turns down Wharton? I think so when I like, how do I try? I never try to get them to do anything. I just it's you get to know these people so intimately through this process. And at the end, they're really weighing these offers. And it's like, all right, what is most important to you? At the end of the day, this is a professional degree. So you're doing this so that you can get a better job. It is professional, right? So it's different than college in that way, whereas college can be four years of fit. But but if you can find a school that can still get you that same level of professional success or what you want professionally, if you can still get that network, still get, but in a community that you feel is a better fit for who you are as a person, maybe that's it. It's in a, it's in a smaller town or that it's more tight knit or a smaller group of people. I'm not dogging Wharton at all. It's a fantastic business school. It's massive, has everything that you want and you'll be but will you, if you have, can get that same level professionally with all the other things you might be looking for as an individual? Yeah, I try to get, get them to see that. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, I would definitely be remiss if I didn't say it's probably easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in particularly because it, those are, at a certain point, it also becomes a, an embarrassment of riches in terms mm. of... Uh, like, woe is me, I have to choose between two wonderful, <laughs> two wonderful programs that are going to really help me accelerate my mm -hmm. career goals. But I think you laid out a really good approach. So I, I really do like that. Okay, so let's, let's talk about kind of where we are right now, mm -hmm. um, in terms of going into the fall, mm -hmm. what, what about what's going on with admissions? Mm -hmm. What happened? What kind of happened last year? And, mm -hmm. and what are we thinking about for this year? Mm hmm. So last year, volume was record numbers. It was crazy. There was just a lot of volume, but also a lot of noise because uh, people got in. So it wasn't like volume was so extraordinary that no one got into business school. My clients all got in. My colleagues' clients got in. So it's this like sense of, yes, volume was high, but people were still able to get a seat. They were still able to go. There were like different pools that weren't excited to come to the U.S. Like I had a really, I had some Chinese nationals just who probably would have come to the U.S. who then chose to go to the U.K. or Canada. So I saw a little bit of that. I think that'll probably shift a little bit this year. That was mostly COVID related, safety related. Um, so I think that should get back on normal. I know that the schools have said that they're still keeping wait lists because they are waiting on a couple of visas still from different countries. Like I had someone pulled from the wait list last week. <laughs> I was like, wow, school starts in four weeks. Yeah. But um, so 
I think that this year volume should be back on track. Admissions doesn't know because they don't see the apps yet, but they're ready. They have their applications up. They opened on time or early. Some of the schools even opened early. They were, they seem very ready with their virtual events. I think they knew they couldn't be late this year because the volume from last year trickled over. So I've found that a lot of people that might have decided I want to go to business school in January or February was like, let me wait till round one of this year. So I don't have to catch this kind of really crazy frenetic year. So they, they are ready. Those people are ready. And then I have another group of people that I think it seems like people are shopping around. Do I really want to do this? I'm not sure. The job market is hot. There are some good offers out there. And if people are getting really terrific offers or they're getting promoted at their firms or they're in a really cool growth position, they might just rethink the whole thing. So I'm imagining volume is about back to pre-pandemic times. And oh, some one interesting thing is that some of the schools are keeping their test waivers and it's gotten the idea of this might be here to stay. But them yeah. kept it because it was like, oh, COVID related, you can't make it to the test site. Stern, Darden, Ross, Cornell, they, um, they, they've really streamlined the process. So it's, oh, all right, this is clearly, can you show these other two or three ways where you've had real, you know, quant ability and show me that you can do this work and then you don't need to take the test. So with these schools, it's cool. You can submit your waiver ahead of time. They'll tell you whether you get your waiver and then you can apply with with that waiver. So say that you apply for the waiver, they don't give you the waiver. It doesn't mean you don't apply to the program. It just means you actually have to go and take the test. So yeah, I thought that was really cool that like that you know, sort of silver lining. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it is interesting to your point because the job market is so hot right now. But at the same time, we're also still coming, I think, coming back from last year in 2020, where there were a lot of folks who either did lose their jobs or were looking for more safer alternatives as they plan their future. And I think there's a, just this interesting kind of bifurcation, if you will, of some folks who are ready to go to school and then some of other folks who are evaluating their options of if they want to go to school or if they want to test the job market because in some industries it is very hard to hire right now. And I mm -hmm. think it'll be interesting to see where the MBA market kind of shakes out. I think for those of us who are into the industry, we have seen over the past few years leading up to COVID, there was a slight dip in application volume and certainly 2020 and a little bit of 2021 reverse that. And mm -hmm. I am definitely curious to see where this kind of leads to going forward to your point. Like it does feel like it would be hard to maybe sustain that growth, at least the growth rate or, or the increase in volume just because mm -hmm. of the tr big shock to the system a year and a half ago. But I do wonder uh, will that spur more people to, because of what happens, will that spur more, spur more people to? get a quote unquote insurance policy like an MBA mm -hmm. um, from mm -hmm. a top institution, or mm -hmm. are they going to feel like, you know what, like I can do it without one, or right now I want to focus on mm -hmm. this instead. And I think even, I think schools are starting to see that too. And just, I even think about all the different schools that are um, starting to invest more in deferred MBA mm -hmm. and trying to target mm -hmm. more early in career folks who mm -hmm. undergrads mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So I, I do wonder what these next couple of years will look like in terms of application volume. Mm -hmm. I think in general, a lot of young professionals just are wanting to shake it up. 
So mm -hmm. whether that means that they put an application in, see what happens, end up sure. going. I think there could be some situations like that too, like hedging. There's a lot of hedging, right? Or, you yeah. know, I'm also going to be interviewing for this job. Like it's, and I mean, this has been a moment of deep reflection for all of us. And yeah. I think, I think the one thing that has emerged is I need to make a change, whether that's go back to school, whether that's change into a new position on my own, but I, I there's just a lot of movement happening. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming back on, for joining me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, this was great. If, thank you uh, so much, Al. For people want to connect with you or learn more about you and what you do, where they where can they come find you? Yes. I'm Lindsay Sage and the name of my firm is Sage Admit. So it's sageadmit.com. You can email me at lindsay at sageadmit. But basically everything's going to come to me. It's I'm a one person boutique shop. Yeah. Look forward to meeting you. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.